Let's pray. God, thank you so, so much, God, for being so incredibly good. Father, I do pray a hedge of protection. God, I, Lord, I pray you'd be with those down at Florida and Alabama, Louisiana, God, up through the storm, and even as it makes its track now up through Alabama and even into Georgia, God. And what I know over the years, it seems like that lower side of it, South Georgia, has been ripped apart with tornadoes and things, God. I pray you put a hedge about them, Father. I, I pray you just let this thing be a soaking rain and move over, God. I pray you protect those flooding and touch those, God, that have already been affected down there. God, I pray you'd help us as your children to be a people of prayer, God, in, in the good times and the bad times, when, when, it's, when it's a drought or when it's a flood, and when the wind's blowing and when the sun's shining, God. I pray you'd help us to be a people of prayer, God. I, I pray you'd touch this group of people here tonight, Father. I'm very thankful for them, God. I, well, it might have been a day I'd have been disappointed to not see but a small group on a Wednesday night, but I'm thrilled to death now that it ain't an empty building, God. It's amazing how you've changed some things in me, God, and I thank you for the way you work on us, continue to change us, and I pray tonight. Would you take this message, God? I pray you'd speak through the airways to those that, that are home because of the weather and the rain, and I pray you'd speak to those of us here, God. I pray you'd speak to us as well. I pray, God, that you would help us to be better servants. Teach us something about your word, God. Make us Lord, make us where we can draw closer to you and walk closer with you that people might see Christ in us, God. We just want to be a vessel used by you. We love you, Father. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we left off a couple of weeks ago. Boy, it's going to be rough. I put my glasses on upside down. A couple of weeks ago, we're in Romans chapter 6. We left off at verse number 12, but we left off in a really good place. We left off when, when we stopped, Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, man, I don't bend them or something. These things are crooked. That's a good place to leave off, ain't it? I thought it was. You know, two weeks later, he's still seated at the right hand of the Father. He ain't got down. He didn't get down because of the fires. He ain't got down because of the hurricane. He's still seated at the right hand of the Father. He's right where he was two weeks ago when we left off. But when we left off, we, we left off that, that because Jesus Christ is victorious over sin, we through him are victorious over sin. When we left off two weeks ago, we left off because Jesus Christ is victorious over the grave, we also through Christ be victorious over death. Now, I know it's raining, but somebody ought to get excited about where we left off because we left off at a really good place, and we're picking back up at a really good place. Just like death has no power over Christ, death has no power over us. Who cares? Appointed unto man wants to die, Hebrews chapter 9. That's not, that's not our way out. That's our way in. That, that's just a way to get into the throne room of the Almighty, just to, to get out of this world. That's not the worst thing that's going to happen to us. We, we're never going to have to face that second death. I'm excited about that, brother. I'm excited I got some eternal life, but, but I'm just as excited that because sin has, or sin has no power over Jesus Christ, then for you and I, through Christ, sin has no power over us. Somebody said, boy, you don't know what I thought today. That's because we chose to. Sin has no power over you and I. So I want to pick up tonight verse number 12, Romans chapter 6. We'll read a few verses. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Thank you, Jesus. 
For you're not under law, but under grace. Thank you, Jesus. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So let's stop right there and look for a little bit. Thank you. You can be seated. We'll look at a few verses there for a little bit. At Calvary, God made complete provision for the sinner. He didn't leave anything undone. He didn't leave anything off. He didn't leave anything for us to have to do. The price was paid in full. It is completely done. All we have to do is accept the gift. Now, the Word of God tells us that to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior is to die to sin. Our identification with Christ gives us victory over sin. Anybody a new creature? Salvation change, anybody? You're not what you used to be anymore? We, our identification with Christ has given us victory through Jesus Christ. We have been delivered from the grip of sin. We have been delivered from, from the grip of death. We have been freed from the bondage of sin that, that once held us. Let, just a quick little freebie before we'll, we'll cover this later. But did anybody ever, maybe before you got saved, just for whatever reason, maybe you set some... Um, what do you call those things you do at New Year's resolutions? Maybe you wanted to try to quit cussing. You wasn't saved. You just wanted to clean up your act. Anybody ever try any of that kind of stuff before? Sin had power over us. We, we made some resolutions. We tried to do some things, but there was no way that we could stop because of the, the power that sin had. But we have been delivered from those things. We've been delivered from the dominion of sin. Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Sin expresses itself through the actions of the body. Carnal man, fleshly man, we're, that's all we are is carnal beings. And, and the natural man, sin is evidenced in what we do. We make sin obvious. It is visible by the way we live our life. Sin expresses itself through us. When a person has truly accepted Christ, that is no longer the characteristic of that person. Sin is no longer our characteristic trait. Old things do pass away. Behold, all things do become new. We are a new creature in Christ. When we have accepted Christ, we are different. We are new. We have been Changed, we are sanctified, which is to be set apart for in holy use. We're not what we used to be. Somebody ought to say amen right there. If you don't say amen again tonight before you nod off, you ought to say amen right there. I'm not what I used to be. You're not what you used to be because of what Christ did. But the only way to be victorious over sin, the only way to enjoy the Christian life to its fullest is to surrender our will to the Father's will. Is to surrender everything to his will. Now, that's a difficult word to use in today's society. To surrender, surrender, yeah, right. Surrender, yes, surrender our will. Boy, that's so hard because today everybody wants to think, I'm, I'm always right. In today's world, everything's always me unless something goes wrong and then it's somebody else's fault. Nothing's ever my fault. 
Nothing's ever anybody's fault. I don't know how things get messed up because it's always somebody else's fault. So whoever it is messing things up, I wish they'd stop it because it's always somebody else's fault. No, no, nobody, nobody ever wants to admit that they could be wrong. Nobody ever wants to admit that, that, that they're not their own master. That's called stinking thinking. That, that's what we need to get out of our mentality. As long as you and I are number one in our life, then we're always going to deal with sin. We have to make Christ number one. We have to put God on the throne, on the seat of our lives, that, is, that he is in complete control. It is by God's grace. It is by God's will and God's power that we can be victorious over sin. If we could have done, if we could have done it on our own, if we could have been victorious over sin, if we could have overcome sin and lived a life without sin, without Christ, then Calvary would have been for nothing. Amen? It's been a little while since we did our study here of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. I know it's been probably almost a year and a half, two years back. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 says that every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You know, Sunday morning I used athletes as an example. I used bodybuilders as an example. They have to work out all the time to keep up what they have built. If they don't exercise daily, they will lose it. Twice I mentioned long-distance runners, marathon runners, those guys. If you remember in closing, we talked about those, those long-distance runners. If they wait until the week of the race to begin to train, they're not going to be ready for the race. It takes a lifelong commitment to be a long-distance runner. It takes a daily commitment. It takes daily training. They must keep their body under subjection. They must be willing to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and hit the pavement running. They must be willing to go day in and day out and training. In order for you and I to have complete victory over sin, that's got to be our same attitude. We've got to be committed to daily training. We've got to be committed to daily Bible reading. We've got to be committed to daily prayer. We've got to be committed to daily devotion. We've got to be committed to daily surrendering our life to Christ that he might strengthen us each day. Verse number 13. 13, Paul says, Neither yield ye your members as instrument of unrighteousness unto sin. I said sin evidence itself through the actions of the body. We must fight against the natural temptations of the body. Anybody say amen right there? Anybody still awake? We have to fight against those things. We're not to yield our members to sin. That means we're not, not supposed to allow our eyes to look with lust. We're not supposed to allow our ears to listen to gossip. Boy, Lord, have mercy on a Wednesday night. Who in the world would preach like that? We're not supposed to, to let our lips participate in lying. We're not supposed to let our tongue talk about other people. We're not supposed to let the members of our body. It's not enough to make that resolution against sin. It has to be a life-changing commitment. Man, resolutions, they're making things at New Year. Most of them don't make it till January. The same thing is true with somebody that just wants to make a resolution to try and do better. It's, we're not capable to do better except by Christ. The way we do better is to surrender everything to Christ and strengthen our relationship with Christ. And it is Christ in us and Christ through us that makes us a stronger Christian. 
children of God are responsible to bring our body under subjection. But we can't do it under our own power. He says, goes on in verse number 13, But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. People, people will use the Bible to say the bits and pieces that they want. Anybody know that? They, they use the piece to make it so they want to say. And people say that James 4, 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee, flee from you. No, it doesn't. And no, he won't. The devil's not afraid of you. The, the devil's not worried about you. The, the devil isn't bothered by you. The devil's not upset by you. The devil has more power in a speck of dirt under his little fingernail than all of us in here put together without the name of Jesus Christ. What the Word of God does say is that the devil is held at bay by the power of God. What that verse says is, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Then it says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you leave out the first part, then you've left out the most important part because you've left out the power of God. We're nothing without God. When we submit ourselves to God, then we have opened the door for God to step in, and God's the one that will cause the devil to flee. It's the name of Jesus Christ that demons must flee. It's the name of Jesus Christ that the devil has to get out of town. It has nothing to do with us until we bring God into the equation. It is God who will step in and deliver us from the temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says that there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man everybody knows that verse right there has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man that means that all of us are going to go through temptations is that what that means all of us are going to go through trials is that what that means just means yes all of us are going to, to go through situations. All of us are going to have to make decisions when we're faced with temptation, such as common to man. Everybody goes through it. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. What is the way to escape? It's the power of God. The, the way to escape, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. The way to escape is the power of God. Every one of us, the Bible says, will be presented with temptations. When temptation presents itself, every one of us will give in one way or the other. Y'all didn't hear that. When temptation comes, when temptation presents itself, every one of us will give in one way or the other. We're either, either going to give in to the power of the temptation or we're going to give in to the power of God and it is the power of God that will overcome the temptation. We have to make a choice during the temptation. So the more we practice, the more we exercise our faith, the more we exercise giving authority to God, giving our life to God, giving Him complete control, surrendering everything every morning. God, I surrender my life, a usable vessel to you today, God. Take me, use me, mold me, make me on this day. The more we practice surrendering our lives to Him, then the more prepared we're going to be when the temptation comes. Amen? Anybody ever go through temptations in this life? We make a choice with every temptation. We either accept the temptation, which is to fail, 
or we allow God to have power over that temptation in case we come out victorious through Jesus Christ. I love verse number 14. Paul says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody ever have to write on the board for something you did at school? And you had to write on the whole board, I will not, I will not, I will not. We need to go to the board and write, thank you, 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 and fill the board up. And there still ain't enough times to say thank you that you're not under the law, but under grace. That, that is God's word. Sin will not have dominion over you and I. Sin does not have authority over the children of God. Sin has no ruling authority over us any longer. We have been rescued from that power that once had us chained down. When God created man in the first place, he created Adam in the beginning, God made man so that sin had no dominion over him. Adam was created in the image and likeness of God, so that means he was without sin, amen? He was given a choice, but sin had no dominion over him. That was God's will for man to be that way that sin had no power over him but Adam made a choice he made the wrong choice he he doomed himself he subjected himself to the slavery of sin but not just himself but did the same thing for you and I and everybody else Jesus came and overcame the sin that overtook Adam Jesus simply restored what had been broken. He came and restored what, what Adam had lost. In the beginning, all men would have been free from sin had Adam not sinned. But Adam messed it up. Now, now the only ones that are free from sin are the ones who accept the gift. I don't think nobody got that. Either that everybody's asleep or everybody already knew that and I'm just learning stuff all by myself. I don't know which it is. John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said, Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. Verse number 36, Jesus said, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. We look at Romans 3, 23 all the time, For all have sinned. Whosoever committeth sin, that's in our text, is the servant of sin. For all have sinned means that everybody has sinned, means that we are all therefore servants of sin. But Christ came to, to make a way to make us to be free from sin. And because Christ has set us free, we are free indeed. Whew, feels good to be free. Feels good not to be bound. But, but we have to exercise our faith every day if we're going to be victorious. We looked a couple weeks ago that the freedom that we have in Christ is not a freedom to sin. Everybody remember that a couple weeks ago? It's freedom from sin. The blood of Jesus, what, what we have in forgiveness, doesn't give us the freedom to sin, but a freedom from sin. As long as sin is indulged, then the power of sin still remains in our life. Verse number 15, it says, What then? Shall we sin, because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. To, to be set free from the old master. Sin was the old master. Sin is what had rule and reign over us. To be set free from the old master is more than just liberty from the old master. It needs a loyalty to the new master. Jesus Christ paid the price. 
He didn't just come pull us out. He paid the price in full to deliver us from the sin where we were. So, so we're not only free from that master, but we are now loyal to Jesus Christ. We are to bring our body under subjection to surrender everything to Christ because he's the one that purchased us. He's the one that set us free. I, I, I was thinking about victory today when I was studying and, and one, one of the problems with victory is too many people want victory, but they don't prepare for victory. No one should ever expect victory who doesn't prepare for victory. I, I was thinking back, as an example, my, my wife is a good witness. When I coached Little League football, first practice was very simple. Give me all the players right here. Sit down, shut up. You got one day to say yes and no. After that, it's yes, sir, and no, sir. If you ever say yes or no and do not follow it with sir to any one of these coaches or adults on this field, you will run around this entire stadium until you can't walk anymore. Is that understood? A lot of people learn how to say yes, sir, and no, sir. It's a matter of respect. It's just a matter of discipline on the ball fields. I think it's a big deal. No, not all that much, but I think you need respect of them there. But I said, now, I want to ask everybody here a question. I had players here, and I had parents in the bleachers here for day one, because if you want to get your child off my team, now's the time to do it. I asked one simple question. How many of you in here have been told it does not matter if you win or lose? That's how you play the game. And that's what they all did. All your players would raise their hand. All the moms and dads raise their hand. I would tell them that's a lie. And if you believe that, you're on the wrong team. Mom and dad, if you don't like it, get them off my team. If it didn't matter if you win or lose, they wouldn't keep score. If it didn't matter if you win or lose, then it really wouldn't matter to play the game. We're just out here to go through the motion. Somewhere, somebody that was too lazy to pay the price to be the best, or either they knew they weren't good enough to win in the first place, told everybody else that it really don't matter if you win or lose. It's how you play the game. If that's what you believe, go get on another team, because we're here to be the best, or we're going to go home and not play at all. It doesn't, you, you, you can't expect victory if you don't prepare for victory. Amen? Uh, another, another thing, nobody should expect to be victorious if they underestimate their opponent. I thought of a really heartbreaking, heartbreakingly good example for that one. No one should expect to be, to be victorious if they underestimate their opponent. The greatest example that I could think of right off the top of my head, did anybody happen to catch that University of Georgia-South Carolina game last year? None of you saw it? Be thankful. Because Georgia was a thousand times better than South Carolina, and there was no odds, there was no chance on planet Earth that South Carolina win that game. But it cost Georgia a chance of getting to play for a national championship because they lost to a nobody. When you underestimate your opponent, you have set yourself up for failure. When, when you think that the devil is anything less than he is, you're setting yourself up for failure. When you think that you are stronger than sin, somebody better pay attention. I know it's Wednesday night. Maybe you're out there. When you think you can't fail, when you think you can't be tempted, when you think you can't fall, when you think you can't sin, you're next on the list. When you're the one that says, that'll never happen to me, that's about to happen to you. When, when, you, when you think that, that you are so much better than your competition, sin is now the competition. We're on the other team. 
sin doesn't have power over us anymore, but sin's still there. Temptation's still there. When, when you begin to underestimate the opponent, you are setting yourself up for failure. Our opponent is way stronger than us. It is Christ in us that is stronger than the opponent. That's why every morning it's up to us to get up and pour ourselves into this book that, that God may work in us and that God may work through us because God's the one that's greater than sin. God's the one that's greater than temptation. God's the one that can give us the power and the ability to be successful. Verse number 16, Paul says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Jeremiah 29, 13. Can you put that one up there? God said, ye shall seek me and find me when? Is it up there? When ye shall search for me with all your heart. God, God, God says, I'm here. I, I'm here to be found. It's not, it's not that hard. God's not going to give you what you don't want. You, you take somebody that's lost. They're on their way to hell. You offer the gift of salvation. They don't want it. They've heard it, been there, done that. Whatever the reason, they, they turn it down. Will God force salvation on them? Yes, no, maybe. Will God force salvation on anybody? God, God will not give them what they don't want, even though the price is paid. Even though the price is paid for their salvation, for their soul to go to heaven, if they do not want it, then God does not force it on them. The, the same thing is true after we've been saved. We have to desire to be filled with the Spirit. We have to desire. We crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I live in faith, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That is a daily surrender. That, that is a daily choice, to surrender everything in me that God might give me victory today. If we want God to have dominion in our life, and we want God to have rule and reign in our life, if we want to have victory over sin, then we're going to have to practice daily. We're going to have to study daily. We're going to have to ask God for this power daily. Every morning when we get up, if you're brave enough, no. You're not brave enough. If you're foolish enough to get up and walk out of the door and start your day without reading God's Word and prayer, God bless you. God help you. We, we, need, we need to ask God for victory daily. God, give me victory. Give me strength to overcome temptation today. God, give me the power to overcome the things that the devil put before me today. God, help me to love my enemy today. God, help me to love the, those that persecute me and spitefully use me and say all manner of evil against me today. God, help me to love my neighbor today. That is a daily practice, something that we have to have every morning. He goes on and says, but God be thanked that you are the servants of sin. Ye were, thank you, Jesus, were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Anybody thankful? If we are no longer servants of sin, then we no longer need to act like servants of sin. If we are a Christian called by my name, 
Christ-like, then we need to act like Christ. We need to act like Christians. Don't tell me you're a Christian and live like the devil. Matter of fact, that's kind of like what I was talking about earlier, to help me pray for somebody and be a witness to somebody that's caught up in this mentality of, of believing that somehow their, their works are good enough and this, this, this Presbyterian church has got them convinced that they're going to go to heaven. I'm sorry, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and live like the devil. Lord help us. We are, we are called by his name. I got a few more minutes. Let me read a few more verses. Verse number 19, Paul says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, un, in, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof? You are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. Being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Look, look back there at verse number 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so... Now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. Anybody ever wanted to just read the Bible in plain English? You ever wanted to just read it and say, exactly what does that mean? Exactly what is it that that's saying in, in just plain old English? Well, let, let's look at this in just plain old English. How many of you would say that before you were saved, when you were still a slave to sin, when, when you were still a sinner, you would say that you were a good sinner. Nobody. Well, one of us will. If, if vocabulary was an issue with you, and you used a lot of four-letter adjectives, how many would say if you used adjectives, you could use adjectives with the best of them? How many would say if lying was your issue, I could lie so good my own mama would even believe it? If stealing was your issue, you could walk out of Walmart with every pocket puffed out and nobody would even stop to question you. I'm just asking you, how many of you, whatever your sin was, and I realize those are the things that we're ashamed of now. That, that's what Paul says, the things in which we're ashamed. And I understand that's things to be ashamed of. I'm, I'm trying to make a point right here. How many of you know that when you yielded your body to sin, that you yielded all of it? Anybody starting to get where we're going with that? When you were a sinner, you were good at what you did. When you were a sinner, you were all in. When you hung out with that sinful crowd, you were all in. When you were a sinner, you put your best into being a sinner. You used your entire body. Your hands sinned. Your mind sinned. Your eyes sinned. Your mouth sinned. Your ears sinned. You were all in when you were a sinner. If our mouth was all in when we were a sinner, why isn't our mouth all in for Christ? Uh-oh, if our ears were all in when we were a sinner, Paul says you put all your members in when you were a sinner. If you put your best in over here when you were a sinner, 
Why aren't you putting your best in over here as a Christian? If you implemented all of your body parts in here into sin, why don't you implement all of your body parts over here into the glory of God. If you use your tongue to curse and slander God and tear down the church when you're in sin, why don't you use your voice and your tongue to tell people about Jesus Christ, to tell them about what he's done for me, who I used to be, where I was, what I came from before Christ reached down into the sewer, picked me up and set my feet upon a rock. Paul simply says, you were all in then. Why aren't you all in now? If we're willing to yield all of our members to sin, then why aren't we willing to yield all of our members to serve God? If we were yielding our entire bodies to be servants to sin, then we ought to be willing to yield our entire bodies to serve God. I will tell you this. I don't know any casual sinners. So why are there so many casual Christians? Somebody said, boy, you need to preach out on a Sunday morning. No, I just need to preach it when God gives it to me. And we're studying through the book of Romans, but it's a very simple question. How many of you know a whole bunch of just casual sinners? If they're sinners, they are all in. But I know a whole lot of just take it or leave it, Sunday morning, some of the times, casual Christians. The Apostle Paul says, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. You're no longer a slave to sin. If you were all in then and you've been washed in the blood, then be all in now. If you surrendered everything to the devil and to his lies, then you need to surrender everything to Christ after what he's done for us. Well, I don't have time to pick up the next verse. Besides, that's a really good stopping point anyway. Somebody had to have, somebody had to have thought that. that. That's a good challenge maybe for somebody. I don't know, maybe they're out there. Maybe they watch it sometime during the week. But, but that's a great challenge for all of us. I'll be honest with you. I have never thought about that way in my life. So I looked at it today and I thought about what Paul is telling me. And, and I saw my life back then. And, and all I see is what Paul is saying to me. You put everything you had into it then. You sinned with the best of them. You poor mouth with the best of them. You trash talked with the best of them. You sinned with the best of them. If you put everything into that, why don't you put everything into now? Why don't you put all your tongue and all that you have and everything that's in you into this the same way you did into that? I can tell you this. There, there's enough Christians just in this church I mentioned Sunday morning, too many people are playing church, and that's the truth. Too many people are playing church. It's casual Christianity, and casual Christianity, we've seen a lot of it taper off. Now, now that COVID-19 has come and, and people have gotten out, we've seen a lot of it not come back. I'm not talking about those that are sick, medically fragile. I'm not talking about those that can't. I'm not talking about those that have to stay home. I'm not talking about those that can't wear a mask. I'm, I'm talking about the ones who could come back. They just don't. The ones that could if they would. It's casual Christianity. We weren't casualty on that side of the cross. We have no right to be casual on this side of the cross. Paul says we ought to be putting all of our members into the glory of God. Well, I know they were going to let through a little early, and they're going to let your middle school and high school out here in about three or four minutes. 
So we're going to pray. I'm going to ask if you would, maybe when you get home tonight, take a little extra time to pray before you go to bed, to pray for the sick, to pull your, to pull your prayer list out. Um, probably pull it up on your phone. It's easier than keeping up with this. And if you got it on your phone, pull it out and make sure that you pray for those on our prayer list tonight. A um, couple of new ones that should have probably been added to this week that I've talked to on the phone. Make sure that, that we spend time to pray. God is faithful. Amen. God, God, is, God is hearing and, and answering prayers. You, you continue to, to pray for, for Mr. Ron Newton, but that's one of the ones that the prayers are being heard. That's one of the ones that's getting better that was in a grim state not too long ago, and God is strengthening him now, and he's getting some power back. You continue to pray that, that God will continue to strengthen him, but at the same time, thank God for the prayers that he's answering, for the things that he's doing. Amen.